Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders, Withambrook Industrial Estate, Grantham. For all your steel needs, call their friendly experts. New research reveals almost half of farmers are financially and personally struggling and nearly 40% have considered getting out. Just how bad is poverty in the rural economy? Rural communities spend between 10 to 20% more on everyday items compared to their urban counterparts, but wages are 7.5% lower. Sean's here with some important agronomy advice. When we're faced with the prospect of mauling a crop like spring barley into a seedbed, knowing full well that it's probably going to cost us far more than we can expect it to return, it really isn't a difficult decision to pull the plug on those fields. And we'll see how the markets are doing, look ahead to a charity tractor run and the Young Farmers Rally and get the weather for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Hello, hope you've had a good week. Nobody's having it easy financially at the moment, but when most of the media talks about the cost of living crisis, the focus is almost always on urban areas. Not to take anything away from the issues faced by our cousins in the city and not to make you think today's programme is going to be all doom and gloom. It's not. But we are paying a premium to live in the rural economy, according to a recent all-party parliamentary group report. Kath Crowther, regional director of the CLA, joins us to put the report into plain English. Kath. So the all-party parliamentary group, the APTG on the rural powerhouse, which includes MPs and peers from across parties, has undertaken an inquiry into the impact of the cost of living crisis on the rural economy. That report concludes that those living and working in rural areas face a rural premium and additional burdens that aren't faced by those in urban areas. Some of those aren't new and some of them aren't unique to rural areas, but they are exacerbated because of being in those rural areas. What sort of problems are we talking about, Kath? So it's things like inflation has been running at about 10% for consumers, but ag inflation has been running at 25 to 30%. Rural communities spend between 10 to 20% more on everyday items compared to their urban counterparts, but wages are 7.5% lower. So one of the recommendations in the report is that the definition of poverty should be updated to include expenditure so that it fairly reflects rural circumstances. It also covers a lot of topics that you may remember me talking to you about from the first inquiry that was run by this APPG last year into the um, to rural productivity and what is holding back rural productivity. So that's things like connectivity and planning and skills and innovation. It's not just personal things, is it? It's the local community that's finding it difficult. Yeah, exactly. The cost of living has a detrimental impact on you know, all kinds of businesses across the country, but In rural areas, there are specific problems. For instance, 76% of rural homes are off the gas grid. So they've been at the mercy of uncapped fuel prices with little government support. Energy is a constant theme throughout the report where energy costs have had a, a big impact. 
we're not looking for sort of special measures, but it's all about getting rural proofing hardwired into government rather than it being an afterthought. All of the different government departments thinking about rural when they are developing policies. So are you saying that the focus has been too much on the urban economy at the expense of rural? Yeah, so we've had successive governments that have failed to recognise the opportunities the rural economy presents. Rural businesses are very, very innovative. And the report that was launched last year into rural productivity showed that the rural economy is 19% less productive than the national average. That could be worth 43 billion to the national economy. And that's really exciting, we think. And it's only small policy changes that are needed to enhance that productivity in the countryside. Such as, Kath? It's things like planning. Your listeners, probably every one of them has a planning story where they would have loved to put a few sensitively designed houses on the edge of a village, which would help support the services in that village and also other villages locally. But it's very difficult to get small-scale development. It's actually easier to get planning often for thousands of houses on the edge of the town. Or they could have got permission to convert a redundant farm building over to offices. Rural businesses have been hindered from rebounding within a cost-of-living crisis. So only 46% of businesses receive serviceable 4G coverage. And you can't run a business these days without 4G, mobile phone without broadband, and without electricity grid connections. So a lot of these issues that could be dealt with fairly easily, we just need support from government without necessarily putting lots of money into it, but just policies that that support rural areas. With a general election coming forward, we think there's a lot of things in here that could very easily fit into rural manifestos. Kath Crowther from the CLA, thank you. Thanks, Steve. And you can read that report on the CLA website. Looks like another bout of rain is on the way, the forecast at the end of the programme, but Sean Sparling, at least it's a bit milder. Morning, Sean. Yes, morning, Steve. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that 2023 will go down as the year that the only way we knew it was late spring and pushing summer was that the rain got a bit warmer. It doesn't seem to stop, does it? You know, we get four or five days with very little rain and then all of a sudden we're back to another splish and a splash at the end of the week just to disrupt things further once again and set us back a fortnight. We could really do with a week or two of warm, sunny weather now so that we can get caught up. Temperatures are improving, I know, but it's fair to say that for the beginning of May, it's a lot cooler than we used to. Last year, for example, the 6th of May was 23 degrees Celsius and the soil temperatures were nearly 5 degrees warmer than they are today. It can all change, of course, and I have absolutely no doubt that there's a distinct possibility in about four weeks' time we'll be sitting here moaning about how hot and dry it is. Let's hope so. So, If we start with spring cereals that haven't yet been drilled, in particular, but not exclusively on the heavier min-tilled land, many growers have now abandoned the idea of trying to maul spring barley into these awful seed beds, which are deceptively dry on the top. But you've only got to go down an inch or so before you run into soil that resembles plasticine, and I've cleaned that up for a Sunday morning. Awful conditions in such fields. So when we're faced with the prospect of mauling a crop like spring barley into a seed bed, knowing full well that it's probably going to cost us far more than we can expect it to return 
it really isn't a difficult decision to pull the plug on those fields. Absolutely no point whatsoever in you spending money on a crop which might struggle to cover its cost. And it's a decision that needs to be taken very soon now, particularly with the cost of all the inputs from nitrogen and nutrition through fungicides, herbicides, plus machinery repairs, and of course diesel. And not least because getting a perfect seedbed now is going to be nigh on impossible in these conditions. And that is what a spring barley crop that's going in in the second week of May so desperately requires. There will, of course, be those who say that, well, we drilled this late before and it's been fine. It worked out fine. But so much depends on what happens in the next four or five months as to whether it will be fine or not. And unfortunately, by the time we actually find out the answer to that question, it's going to be way too late. It is, of course, your choice. And as I keep saying, you know your farms and your fields far better than I do. But barley drilled in the second week of May is likely to make you far more trouble than it is money. It's like a game of poker. It's your choice whether you fold or go all in. How's your nerves on that one? Similarly, spring beans, you've got to ask yourself the same question. And with that in mind, many people are now taking the decision to put summer cover crops or even just a good cover of mustard in to try and dry out these heavy and very wet seed beds over the summer, ready for a good crop to go in in the autumn. And next year's crop, of course, is something else to seriously be considered in all of this, because it's not about this harvest coming. It's not just about that. You've got to consider next year's harvest as well, because it would be disappointing to have one bad late drilled and dodgy crop through to this coming harvest. But to end up harvesting a poor crop late this year and then compromising next year's following crop would be an absolute disaster. We've just about run out of time with spring cereals and spring bean drillings now then. So getting some form of summer cover in there to draw that moisture out ready for this next autumn will probably be the best decision we can take in such situations. Plenty of sugar beet still to get in the ground. Thanks once again to the weather. It does seem to be coming up within about eight to ten days though and I guess that if it does turn more like May and come nice and warm now it's going to romp away once it's in the ground. We've seen it before where sugar beet drilled in May has still met in the row by the linkages show in just about seven weeks of growth. Fingers crossed it happened this year. Beet which has been in the ground for about three weeks or more by the way is rushing through the ground and getting to fully expanded cot leaden in just 17 days in some of my fields and therefore first post-emergence herbicide mixes have been going on quite widely this week as the conditions have allowed saving graces though in sugar beet that with conditions as cold as they are out here the polygonums in particular are not enjoying these things either and they're not flushing particularly quickly or in big numbers and so willowweed knotgrass pale persicaria fat end bindweed etc all still well under control even where preems haven't been applied early days of course but for now i'm in control of the weeds and they're not in control of me i have heard a few reports of pythium fusarium foot rots and even blackleg showing up in some sugar beet crops towards the south of the county and beyond in particular, which is unsurprising really considering the current weather conditions and those which have preceded us over the last few weeks. As we said last week, disease levels in winter beans still causing us quite a bit of concern. Remember, you can only apply two strobs to a bean crop in a season, so utilising things like tebuconazole early and keeping the big guns for later because it's an awful long way to harvest yet and I don't want to run out of the best actives I have available just when I'm going to need the most. Also worth noting that big doses of product are not necessarily the answer. More important that the right product is applied at the right time. And as with any season, you know, but more so this season, you can't spend your way out of trouble. It's like standing in a bucket and trying to pick yourself up by the handle. It won't work.
Flag leaf now fully emerged and orange beginning to poke out in many of my winter barley fields, particularly where they went in well and are on the more fertile land. Thankfully, all of my winter barley's received its T1 fungicide along with growth regulators, but I know there are many fields out there in this county and beyond which have got to this growth stage without any input other than a bit of nitrogen fertiliser. As I said last week, if you do still have recommendations outstanding that you've had for two or three weeks, you may well need to reassess and rethink your strategy for fungicide fungicides, herbicides, PGRs, just to keep the crop safe and you legal, of course. Um, winter wheat largely at or now beyond growth stage 31 for me closer to growth stage 32 with leaf 3 well emerged and leaf 2 now emerging quite widely in the more forward pieces although not exclusively so plenty of the more backward looking bits have got leaf 2 moving now for you calendar date farmers out there you're going to regret it this year if you're one of them there are of course those who will say if you haven't got your T1 on and your leaf 2 is emerging just wait and aim at coating leaf 2 instead of leaf 3 I don't agree with that myself as a broad statement for me with septoria moving in these canopies such as it is as soon as the opportunity arises to get a fungicide on you should take it because if you're waiting for leaf two to come out and you miss a weather window opportunity of coating leaf three it could be the biggest mistake of the season and with spraying opportunities as few and far between as they've been so far this spring just like buses you never know when the next one's coming along they used to say there were just 11 good spraying days in a season and you can count the good spraying days we've had so far this year on the fingers of one foot so with leaf two emerging by the 6th of may some warm weather now could just see flag leaves emerging within the next 21 days or so how many spraying days can you afford to miss if they come along with time running out none is the answer to that so as crops gather pace and the weather sticks two fingers up to us let's see what the next seven days bring thank you sean things are a bit lighter after the break with a look ahead to the Young Farmers Rally and a charity tractor run, plus the livestock and grain market reports and the weather for the week to come next. The Farming Programme with our equipped steel stockholders with Umbrook Industrial Estate Grantham, supplying the region for over 40 years. Let's turn to the lighter side of farming life for a moment with a charity tractor run to talk about in a minute. But first, the Lincolnshire Young Farmers annual rally is getting very close. County Strategic Development Manager Kate Knight, a big day for young farmers. And if I'm not mistaken, your personal favourite day of the year. That's right. Probably the biggest day in the Young Farmer calendar. All 15 Lincolnshire Young Farmer clubs get together to compete in the wildest and wackiest of competitions. Some serious ones and loads of fun ones. This year, we're kindly sponsored by Omex. Without sponsorship, it's very difficult to run it. And we're hosted by Andrew Ward at Roy Ward Farms Limited at Lednam. So Saturday the 20th of May, everybody needs to put it in their diary and come along. You don't have to be a young farmer. Everybody is welcome. What kind of things are they getting up to? We've got things like ice cream challenge where they have to make a Mr. Whippy, pillow fighting over a pool of water, running in Wellingtons full of water. There's wheelbarrow races, just things like that that only young farmers could dream up. <laughs> we've, also, yeah, we've also got some uh, more serious classes, the exhibition classes. So we have a whole hall dedicated to exhibition classes. So there'll be some floral art and lots of creative things. This year's theme is uh, Day at the Races. So I think there'll be lots of glamour. They've got to make an outfit for a day at the races and a cocktail that one might drink at the races. So a bit of glamour on, on the side of all the wackiness as well. 
It sounds fantastic, Kate. Um, you say it's open to non-Young Farmers Club members. Is it open generally? Can somebody turn up on the day or do they need to pre-book? You can turn up on the day. We just ask for a £2 entry fee and we've got food and some crafts stalls as well as all the young farmer things going on a lot of the agricultural dealers will be there showcasing their equipment so please come along there's plenty of information all on normal social media but we've got a dog show happening as well so anybody can come along and enter their dogs into the dog show as well now you say social media so do we just search lincolnshire young farmers or is there a website or what's best So Lincolnshire Young Farmers on Facebook and we've also got a Lincolnshire Young Farmers rally page on Facebook and um, we're on Twitter and um, Instagram as well. So get along to Roy Ward Farms at Lednam on Saturday the 20th of May. Sounds brilliant. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Next Sunday, it's the Young Farmers pre-rally day at Lednam and we'll be seeing lots of old machines on the roads of Lincolnshire then too with the Louth Lions Vintage Tractor Run. Loads of fun and a fantastic sight to see Sarah Lambelt, Marketing Manager at Mason's Rural. But there is a serious purpose to the run, isn't there? So very much it is a fundraising event for Louth Lions who are huge in the community. So it's about raising money for good causes. And one of the things they're doing this year is they're actually sponsoring LRSN to bring um, a nurse to all of our markets at Louth Livestock for the health MOT checkup. So anybody coming to the market can actually have their blood pressure, diabetes, things like this. This is just one example of the great work that the Louth Lions fundraising um, does within the community. And of course, the tractor rally itself sets off from Peacock and Binnington, eight o'clock in the morning, bacon butties for anybody who wants to go along and see them at that side. Um, Chatting with Derek Blow, who is the organiser, one of the exciting things this year is they're going off road. So as well as going throughout the little villages, they're actually going to be going on some tracks that even they don't probably know exist around rural Lincolnshire. If you just want to see all of the tractors en masse, pop down to the livestock market. ETA about 12.45, 1 o'clock. And will people be able to spectate along the route? Yes, I think so. The farmers, I'm told, really appreciate a wave, maybe a photograph, you know, having um, the Louth Lions Facebook page tagged. It's a great community event to get involved with. Of course, kids love seeing the old tractors go past. Well, don't we all? Absolutely. And this, so this is next Sunday, 14th of May. Where could we go for more information, Sarah? Uh, so you'll find something on the Louth Lions website. Peacock and Binnington, as I say, are um, the main sponsors and that's where the route is starting. And I'll be putting something up on the Mason's Rural Facebook page as well for anyone who wants to find out more. Fingers crossed for another great event and loads of money raised. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much, Steve. Links FM Farming. Market reports. Sticking with Louth and the livestock sale report from auctioneer Oliver Chapman. Good morning, Oliver. Morning, Steve. This week's weekly roundup for Monday, the 1st of May and May Bank Holiday. Starting with the prime cattle, which see prime bull sell to 275 pence per kilo or £1,617 for our Ray and Son of Lincoln, while heifers sell to 299 pence per kilo for John Thurby of Kexby or £1,715 for JNS Brooks of Strubby, while steers sell to 280 pence per kilo for John Scully of Bormba or £1,680 for JNS Brooks of Strubby. On to the cool cows and OTMs with OTM heifers topping at 192 pence per kilo or £957 for David Chamley of Tetney, while the cool cows top at 198 pence per kilo or £1,382 or 50 pence for JT and WA Smith of Owersby. 
This week saw store cattle, a tremendous trade across the board with the steers and heifers, both being topped by the annual consignment from R.C. Ellison, son of Hibblestowe, with steers away to a high of £1,740 and heifers away to £1,560. Steers all in average 1152 heifers all in average 1175 On to the sheep, starting with the lambs, all in an SQQ average of 369.77 pence per kilo, and a tremendous trade with H. Ward Farming Limited of Apley topping at £175 per head or 407 pence per kilo. Onto the prime hogs, you could almost call it Mayday Madness with the hogs SQQ in at 314 pence per kilo and all in average in 310.53 pence per kilo. Top goes to R.I. Cluffinson at 344 pence per kilo, Holton Holgate or 185 pounds for Tim Kirk of Spilsby. Onto the cool ewes and a very similar number with a very similar trade with the ewes all in averaging £145.08 and, and the rams all in averaging £187.75, both of which contained rare breeds. Ewes top at £218 per head for R.L. Hartley of Brackenborough and the rams top at £222 for Jack Gratton of Boston. Finally, just a handful of store sheep. See store hogs top for Jay Cooper of Aspi Purum at £90 per head, while ewes and lambs top for F. Dennis of Tatchell at £63 per life. Huge thank you to everyone that's been in supported this week. Tomorrow, Monday the 8th, is our show and sale of ewe and lamb outfits, which will be sold directly after the sale of cool ewes at approximately 4 o'clock. We look forward to seeing you all tomorrow. This is Oliver Chapman for Masons and Louth Market, and thank you. Thanks, Oliver. And with the review of the week on the grain markets and guide prices, Openfields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. The market began the week on the defensive as funds extended their short positions on both Seabot and Matif. Without fresh, bullish news or what news there was being ignored, the market encountered minimal resistance. This was until the drone attack on the Kremlin, which was reported as an attack to assassinate Putin, which resulted in a bout of short covering activity. If it was an assassination attempt, it was obviously unsuccessful and interpreted by most newswires as a false flag, with Ukraine denying any involvement. Talks regarding the corridor extension are expected to take place in Istanbul on Friday, attended by Deputy Defence Ministers of Russia, Ukraine and Turkey, with no mention of the UN representation, and with previous key negotiators Ergodon and Lavrov seemingly not in attendance. This may mean nothing, but against the backdrop of events this week, it is difficult to comprehend why Russia would be willing to extend the agreement, having stated that the demands have not been met. The latest development is that Turkish state lender Zirat Bank could work as an intermediary to process payments for Russian grain exports, although the United States and the United Nations would need to approve each transaction. Turkey, yet again, playing both sides off against the middle. Looking at barley... Winter and spring barley crops continue to develop well across Europe and the UK. All spring barleys are now complete in the last areas of Denmark, Sweden and Scotland. France continues to report its malting barley crop as being 92% very good to excellent. The warmer nights in May have helped the spring barley in the south, where even the later planted barley has improved significantly. Only Spain has a problem with dry weather and high temperatures in the south. Without much trade at all, new crop malting barley prices have followed the wheat futures down. Bearing in mind there is no obvious problem with our malting barley crops and the new crop premiums remain high between £40 and £50 depending on area. As our crop continues to develop, the growers decide to sell some forward, that premium will start to erode. Looking at all seed rape, Matif rapeseed continues to see pressure from rival oils along with optimistic forecasts for 2023 production also weighing on prices. 
The consultancy strategy grains raised their forecast for 2023 European Union rapeseed production from 20 million tonnes from 19 million a month earlier on good weather conditions. They comment that the increased harvest outlook in rapeseed would add supply pressure with large stocks already expected to end up at the end of the season. Additional pressure has come from crude oil which lost 9% in the last three trading days. Prices plunged on the concerns about the US economy and signs of weak manufacturing growth in the world's largest oil importer, China. On Wednesday, as expected, Fed raised the interest rates by a quarter of a percentage point to their highest since 2007. However, the Fed's signal that it may be a pause further interest rate increases did add some support. So looking at prices this week, feed wheat for June 175 to 180, August 175 to 180 again, and November 180 to 190, February 183 to 193. Milling wheat premiums are currently circa 60 to 70 pounds for old crop wheat. Feed barley for June 165 to 170, August 155 to 160, November 161 to 171, and February 164 to 174. For malting barley premiums, please speak to your open field farm business manager. Oilseed rate for June 350 to 360, August 345 to 355, November 350 to 360, and February 353 to 363. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Kit, and congratulations to Openfield, celebrating success at the 2023 Safety and Health Excellence Awards, where Safety and Environment Manager Mark Smith walked away with the Health and Safety Manager of the Year Award, beating 11 other contenders across a wide range of industries. Well done, Mark. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Another week of wet stuff, starting today with light rain pretty much all day, light westerlies and highs around 17 Celsius. Heavy rains forecast for tomorrow, a cooler day too, light southerly breezes and temperatures only getting to 12 degrees. Mostly dry, calm and warmer Tuesday before the return of the rain for the latter part of the week. Winds light and variable, temperatures peaking in the mid-teens. Next week on the programme, Britain's fittest farmer comes to Lincolnshire and Open Farm Sunday is not that far away. Are you taking part this year? I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a great week. The Farming Programme with Araquip Steel Stockholders with Embrook Industrial Estate Grantham. BSI ISO 9001 accredited.